Amen. Well, good morning. <laughs> now, did y'all get your tea in? <laughs> That's important. You got to get that tea. And while, while we're getting set up here, will you join me in the book of Romans chapter number 6? Romans chapter number 6. Well, I trust you got a good night's rest last night. Maybe. <laughs> you know, one of the things we try to do in our house is to... I try to I try to teach our children and our household that Sunday begins about 6 p.m. on Saturday night. And about 6 p.m. we start pointing ourselves towards Sunday. And, and it just... Uh, we... We watch just from there on out what we do, try to make sure we're prepared, make sure things are, are washed, they're ironed, so there's no stress in the morning. Uh, nothing worse than a, a hectic morning than coming and trying to calm down and be blessed by the Lord. So we, we start our, our Sunday about 6 p.m. The, the night before, make sure we get a good night's rest, good meal, everything's well prepared, and we can get up and enjoy Sunday morning and have our time of devotions and have some extra time, free time to just kind of uh, enjoy the morning and then come because Sunday is my favorite day of the week. I love the Lord's Day and, and I'm glad that He set aside this day that we can come and worship Him. Well, Romans chapter number 6. Already um, yesterday morning in the first session we looked at Second Corinthians chapter number 5. And then in uh, the latter session there, we looked at Colossians chapter number 3. Now, we're going to look at a similar passage. It's kind of interesting, but the Apostle Paul in all these, these three passages is, is relatively dealing with the same subject matter, but he's dealing with three different churches, um, with the church there in Corinth, the church in Colossae, and then uh, the Christians down there in the parts of Rome. And as he's dealing with the three different ones, he's dealing with the same subject matter, but there's a little bit of a different angle, each one of them. Maybe, um, maybe it's just that they need a different sort of a different application to it. So you, you find a similar text, uh, a lot of it deals with the same principle there, being a new Christian or being in Christ now. And, but there's, there's variation. So I thought we'd get a blessing today. Let's look here in Romans chapter 6 and look with me in verse number 1. The Bible says, what shall, we, uh, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, how should we, or how shall we, that are dead to sin, live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us, as were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death? Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death that... Like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we've been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin." Then it says, now if we be dead with Christ, we believe, that we, or we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Verse 11, 
Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. In verse 14 it says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. Well, let's look here back in verse number, um, verse number 2. Verse number 2 ends with a statement and really a thought-provoking question. It says, How shall we that are dead to sin, there's the statement, and then the question is, live any longer therein? And in this statement are presented two, two really thought-provoking truths. Number one's a present reality, and the second one is a future potential there. And <clears throat> when we look at this, and first of all, let's take the present reality. Now, <clears throat> verse number three begins, and... Um, Let's go ahead. In verse number 3, and there's a few times, and, and I want you to notice, if you're in the habit of marking in your Bible, maybe you want to underline these words, but there's a few times in the next few verses there, uh, specifically through verse number 9, where the word know or knowing is there. Now, there's things that we need to know. First of all, in verse number 3 through the middle part of verse number 4, we need to know the purpose of baptism. I alluded to it yesterday a little bit. The Bible says, Know ye not, in verse number 3, that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even we, so we also should walk in newness of life. Now, of course, that being baptized into Jesus Christ is talking about the spiritual transaction that takes place. When we get saved, you know, we're baptized into Jesus' death, into his burial, into his resurrection. We talked about that yesterday. But that's also the picture that the physical baptism does, you know, it, it pictures. That's what physical baptism is the picture of. We, I don't know, when, when you folks baptize, but our final statement, statement when we bring somebody up out of the water, that they may walk in newness of life. And, and so the purpose of baptism, um, it's, it's both a funeral and a dedication service. You know, and, and, and it says, know, uh, verse, know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized in his death. There's the funeral. There's the burial. This is a funeral service for the old man. You know, when we got saved, and, and you know, when we got saved yesterday, I know I pointed it out, but we died with Jesus Christ. That guy died. That's why our potential is so bright. Our future has so much potential. Or our future is so bright, or, and it has so much potential because the guy that made all the mistakes, that old man, that old man that was in union with sin, and I, I know you've, you've, you've gotten this theology. I know your, your, your pastor teaches it well. Brother John's been here so many times. But that old man that was in union with sin and separated from God, that guy died. He was buried with, with the Jesus Christ, and, and, and that death is separation. He was separated from indwelling sin, now joined to the Lord. And the guy that came out of the grave is not the guy that went into the grave. And, and that's, you know, that's uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature, literally a new creation. So when we, when we have baptism, I, you know, um, I'm not sure if we convey that enough. 
You know, I, I made the statement yesterday that, that I think God gave us baptism because baptism doesn't save us, but it's very important. And, and I think God gives us baptism that we can kind of wrap our minds around what happened to us spiritually. You know, we can feel, you know, I, like I said, when I got saved, I didn't, I didn't get a warm, fuzzy feeling, a, a glow come over me. I didn't see a 50-foot Jesus. There, there really wasn't anything external going on. It was a very earnest, a very solemn, a very truthful moment, moment and exchange uh, between me and my Savior. And, and, but boy, when I got baptized, I could feel that. And, and when they laid me under the water, and praise the Lord, in our church, they, they fill it up. It's pretty warm water. <laughs> and uh, it depends on how long the service goes before it cools off, you know. Um, but when they laid me down under the water, I could feel those waters rush over me, and I could feel my entire body was immersed. And, and, and you know, we need to wrap our mind around that. We need to know that that, that helps us to realize that we, we died with Jesus Christ, that the old guy's dead, and whatever failures or mistakes or whatever problems problems you had in the past or whatever whatever was your vice or whatever it is that guy died and the guy that come out of the waters that came out of the waters he's a new man he's a new creation a new creature um so you see the purpose of baptism it's a burial but it's also a dedication service you see the resurrection look with me in verse four therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death that like as christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the father even so we also should walk in newness of life so it's a burial service, but when we come out, it's also a dedication service, dedicating ourselves to our future. So that, that, that present reality is that we died with Christ, but that future potential is when we come up out of the water. And, and I know this is all talking about spiritually. This is what happened when we were, when we were placed into Jesus Christ and to his death, his burial and resurrection. But in a really, in a, in a physical sense, that's what baptism is supposed to picture. And, and so when we come out, there's that future potential. There's that dedication service. And, and, and the new man comes out of the water. That's the resurrection. We're raised with Jesus Christ. And, and that, that, that's just glorious. Amen. So know the purpose of baptism. Number two, look with me in verse number six. Number two, know the power of the cross. Know the power of the cross. Look in verse six here. It says, knowing this, once again, these are things that we need to know, that we need to understand. <coughs> we need to know, we need to understand the, the purpose of baptism. We need to know, we need to understand the power of the cross. Verse number 6, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. So that union, remember we were in, uh, I don't know if Brother John's used that illustration, we were in cahoots. You know, within dwelling sin, we are in union within dwelling sin. That's what makes the, you know, the plowing of the wicked sinful. Even something as wholesome as plowing to feed your family, it becomes sinful because we're in union within dwelling sin. You know, that's why Jesus could look at the multitudes. He said, ye of your father the devil, in the lust of your father, that will you do. Because we're in cahoots within dwelling sin. But death or burial, death brings about separation so that that bond was broken. That's Romans. Romans chapter number 7, where that, that, that marriage was dissolved, that union with indwelling sin, and were raised and were married unto another, Jesus Christ. So that bond is broken, so know the power of the cross. Now, 
He says this in verse 6, Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Now, that word destroyed doesn't mean annihilated. It means it's rendered inoperable. Um, it, it's lost its authority. It's kind of like the old landlord when, we, when, when somebody else comes and buys the building. You know, can you imagine if you were in a, in a home and, or renting an apartment or renting a home and you rented for years to this particular man, he would come to your house, he'd collect the rent every month, but one day he sells that property to another man, but about a month later he comes along and he goes to collect the rent again. Now what would you do? You would say, um, no, <laughs> because as soon as I pay you, I'm going to have to pay the other guy because he's the one that owns it. I don't have to pay you anymore. You're no longer in charge. You're no longer in authority. And that's what verse 7 is saying. It says, for he that is dead is freed from sin. So you're freed from the dominion. You know, Jesus said, for sin shall not have dominion over you. You know, the Lord said, sin shall not have dominion over you. And, and so we're freed from that and, and no longer our landlord. So know the power of the cross. And like I said, uh, not, you know, uh, verse 6, that the body of sin might be destroyed. It doesn't mean that sin is gone, because if you've been saved for any amount of time at all, you know sin's alive and well. You know, and, and you know lust and desires, those things are still alive and well. It's not annihilated. It's not, you know, just completely vanished, but it no longer has authority in your life. And so, you know, when we come up out of that water in the past, the lust of your father, that will you do. That may be true in the past, but when we come up out of those waters, when, you know, and, and actually this happened when we got saved, not at our baptism, but baptism helps us kind of wrap our minds around it. And that's why it's, it's good yet, you know, you can get baptized fairly soon there. But when we come up out of that, we should come up with the armed with the understanding that the old guy's dead, the new guy is alive unto God. With that, that union's been broken, sin's not our master anymore, and we now are free not to sin and do as we want, but we're free to serve and glorify God. Because in the past, that, that was impossible. Now, so know the purpose of baptism, know the power of the cross. Brother Gordon, what, what time does Sunday school finish? 11 o'clock. Okay. So know those two things. And, and like I said, it's, it's rendered powerless. It's, it, you know, sin is, uh, because of the cross, is rendered, it, the authority has been broken, no longer your master. But then the third thing we need to understand is know the power of the resurrection. Look in verse 8. It says, Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that, there's that word again, and like I said, if you're in the habit of underlining your Bible, underline that word. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. And so sin's lost its authority, and know the power of the resurrection. You know, sometimes we come out and, and we still have an old man mindset. You know, we, we still view things through the old man's potential. But you know what? That's not our future potential. That's not what we can do. And, you know, you may have failed numerous times in the past. But when we, when we get saved, we, you know, our potential, when we're, when we're crucified with Christ and buried with Christ and raised in the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our potential is limitless. You know, when Paul said, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me, you know what Paul meant? He meant, I can do all things 
through Christ which strengtheneth me. And what Paul was saying is my, fu- my future, my future potential is not limited to my past failures because that guy died. The guy that came out with Jesus Christ came out of those waters that came out of resurrected spiritually with Jesus Christ. His future is as bright as ever. And, and so know the power of the resurrection. And, um, you know, so we, if we believe that we died with Christ, we also believe, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him. And folks, these are things that we need to know, that we need to wrap our minds around. And then one more, and then we're going to switch the side of this thing and, and make the application. The permanency of Christ's actions. Look in verse number 10. For in that He died... He died on the sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. And, and I just want to pause on that for a minute, because sometimes, and, and I'm sure your pastor has seen this a number of times, and so have I, sometimes Christians get the idea, or especially young Christians get the idea, after they get saved, after they trust Christ as their Savior, when they make a mistake, when they blow it, they've got to get saved again. Hey, listen, that was a one-time completed action in the past. And Jesus, just like Jesus, you know, didn't need to die over and over and that didn't need to be repeated again and again. He was the one sacrifice for all time for all sin. Amen. And it's a past action that's final and complete. And when we get saved and we, when we genuinely turn to the Lord and our soul is regenerated and we're quickened, we're made alive, we become a new creature. Folks, when we make mistakes, we don't need to get saved again. We need to get right. Amen? And that's important because as long as we stay in that vicious cycle saying, oh, i got to get saved again, i get got to get saved again, you're not getting a hold of any of these truths. You're not laying hold of these, and, and you're limiting your future. No, you made a mistake. Now you need to claim the blood. So that's the past reality. Now, <clears throat> now the uh, future potential. Now, we've got to take that knowledge of that, 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 you know, that well, actually, past reality, present reality. We've got to take that knowledge of our present reality and the things that are true. And that's why the Bible says no or knowing or no. We've got to lay hold of these things. And we've got to apply them to our future from this mo- moment on. And folks, listen, we're, we're never going to get anywhere in our Christian lives if we don't start making application of, you know, that's, that's what faith is. You know, you may not feel it. You know, when you got saved, did you feel any different immediately? No, I felt, I'll be honest with you, I felt the same. You know, I didn't have, <laughs> I remember one time uh, witnessing to a lady or a couple, and I was in there and, <laughs> and she said, Oh, I did that. And I said, you did? I said, well, praise the Lord. She said, oh, it was awesome. And, and she started to describe a, a spiritual experience she had. And she actually had an audio cassette. And, and, and a preacher, it was a charismatic church, a charismatic preacher, and he was slaying them in the spirit. And, and he, he was coming along, and he was bopping them in the head, and they would fall over, and they would twitch around on the ground for a little bit. And she said, that was it. She said, I know I got saved because I had this experience. 
Now, for some people, when they, when they get saved, it's a very emotional thing. Like my mother, she was 62 years old. She was fighting the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I would watch her sit in church, and she would grip the pew so tight, her knuckles literally turned white by the end of the invitation. And I'd watch her just fight the Holy Spirit, fight the Holy Spirit. I would try to talk to her. She'd tell me, I don't want to be preached to. And then she would ask me a question. I'd try to answer, and she'd tell me, I don't want to be preached to. And she wouldn't let me answer the question. She would ask me. And, um, but boy, I watched, I remember the day my mother got saved. And I mean, she had been fighting, 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 resisting, resisting, resisting. And then I, we were, I stopped by the church. I, I was uh, working heating and cooling at the time. And I stopped by and got a hold of the youth pastor. I said, hey, you want to go knock some doors and talk to folks about the Lord? And he said, sure. I said, well, hey, follow me home. Come on with me. I got to change real quick. Get out of my uniform, put some, you know, uh, kind of clothes on that I should be using for knocking doors. And uh, so I, I went home and I was changing up and he's seated in the living room and he's talking with my mother. And then I hear him get on the plan of salvation. And I can hear him start to converse with her and I thought, oh no. And my heart just sank because my mother, she, she, she raised five boys by herself. And uh, my mother was a tough woman, or was, is a tough woman. She, pray for her, she's uh, in, with hospice and in terminal stages of cancer right now. But my mother was very tough, and, and she, um, she, I could hear him asking, and I thought, oh no, she's going to bite his head off. I just, <laughs> I know how she is, and, and if, she, if she answered him like she answers me, I thought this isn't going to be nice. And so I hurried up, I was trying to change <laughs> real quick. And, and I came around, we had doors that you could cut through another room and come around, and I came around that way because I heard her let him answer the questions. And I thought, Lord, are you going to save her today? And, and, and I, I thought, boy, this might be the day. So I, I kind of snuck around after I finished changing, and, and he, was, uh, he was asking her different questions. And he, he said, Mrs. Nichols, do you believe that Bill believes what he's been trying to tell you? And she said, I, I shared it with you yesterday. Um, she said, I know he does because I see what a change it made in his, in his life. And boy, for me, that was, that was the, that was the grade of my walk. You know, because my mother, I grew up, my father, my father died before I was born. Uh, my mother actually found out she was pregnant with me two weeks after the funeral and she was a little bit bitter. And she, she waitressed in the daytime, she tended bar at night. And I kid around, I said, I met her when I was about 10, wasn't too far off from that. And because she was always working. My, my mother never, never took a penny of welfare, never took anything. She was a hard-working woman. $2.52 an hour plus tips kept food in our, in our bellies and a roof over our head. And uh, I just thank the world of my mother. And, um, but, you know, she, um, she, she raised us telling us that because when she, when, she, when she waitressed and when she tended bar at night, um, Different clergy, priests, different people would come in, and people that are supposed to be men of the cloth would get drunk and, and make passes at her. And, and it just left her. She thought it was such hypocrisy. And she would always tell us, she raised us saying, churches are full of hypocrites. That's all she ever told us. Churches are full of hypocrites. Churches are full of hypocrites. And it's amazing. God, God would even call me to preach, right? And, um, and she always said that. So that's what I grew up under. So, you know, I knew the animosity my mother had. And, and, and I also knew that when I got saved that I had, to be, I had to be viable. I had to be real. And I asked God, I said, help me be the first genuine Christian, my mother, because my mom knows me. And she knows my habits. She knows my weakness. And I said, Lord, help me. Give me strength to be real because there's no way on earth she's going to get saved if, if I'm a hypocrite. 
And so I prayed, and when he asked her that day, when he's witness, do you believe that Bill believes what he's telling you? And there was this pause, and I know it may have only been five seconds, but it felt like five hours. I'm like, tick, tick, tick. And she says, I know he does, because I see what a change it's made in his life. And, uh, and he said, Mrs. Nichols, don't you think you need to be saved? And I'm telling you, the floodgates just opened. And, and tears started just flowing down her face. And she couldn't see me, but I could see her. And tears started flowing down. And she started just blubbering. She said, yes, yes, and crying. It was just so glorious. I sat there, tears running down my face. And, and he took her by the hand, and he led her to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, not everybody's experience is like that, and nor, nor does it need to be. Mine wasn't like that. But we do need to have an interaction with God. Amen? So, when we get into this application and we're to take that knowledge, that, that all those truths and the things that we know, and we're to take them and now we're to apply them to our future path. And, and from this moment on, if you look here in verse number 11 of our text, I think we're doing good on time. The Bible says, Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And, and that, that those words, likewise reckon, this phrase forms a turning point in our discourse. So we're to take these realities, these truths, these things that we ought to know, and we're to now apply them to our future. And that word uh, reckon, it's an old accounting term, that means to count on the reality of these stated truths. Uh, we're to reckon that, you know, um, two different things. We're to reckon that we're dead indeed on the sin, that we do not have to sin. You know, for the Christian, I remember I, I, I had, we ran a bus route, and I had this little girl. She was just a beautiful little blonde-haired girl, just a little girl, sweetie like that. And it, her home was so, it was such a terrible home she was from. I mean, I, I'm not trying to be mean, but her, her mother literally was a prostitute. And and there was drugs. We would stop outside of the house and there would be needles and, and other paraphernalia on the street right where we'd pick up the kids. And I used to just feel so bad for them. I had a little blonde-haired girl and, and a little uh, black-haired boy and just as cute as can be. Love these kids to pieces. And the little girl says to me one day, I said, I said, um, uh, she was kind of out of sorts and, and did some things wrong, you know, like kids would do. And, and I said, honey, I said, why did you do that? I said, you know that's wrong. You know you shouldn't do that. And she looked up at me just as serious can be. And she said, the devil made me do it. <laughs> and I said, listen to me. I said, listen, the devil might have tempted you, but he can't make you. And you know, and, and, and when the Bible says we're dead indeed on the sin, and we need to reckon, listen, sin's not our master. You do not have to sin. When we sin as Christians, when we sin as born-again believers, we do so willingly of our own will, our own volition. Nobody's forcing us to because sin doesn't have dominion over us. So, you know, we need to reckon that, that we're now dead indeed on the sin and that we're now alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And like I said, that, 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 that word reckon, that's, that's that old accounting term. And, and folks, we need to kind of balance the books on that thing. We need to, we need to understand and, and, and put that in, you know, write it down. Write it down. Put it in the black ink. Write it down. Put it to your account. This is who you are. Amen. And uh, however, whatever you got to do to wrap your mind around it, wrap your mind around it. Then number two, we need to get out of the red ink. 
Look in verse number 12. The Bible says, likewise, or I'm sorry, not likewise, verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Let not sin therefore reign. Why therefore? Because sin's not our master. So let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lust thereof. And folks, what it's just simply saying, we need to stop on wise practices. You know, sin shouldn't be reigning in our life. There's some things that needed, like we were talking yesterday, need to die with the old man. And, and, and you know, like we have that symbolic ceremony of our death with Christ and our new man coming up, you know, there's some things that we need to just let die. And have a service. You know, I remember being in meetings where we, at the end of the meeting they'll have a burning, they'll have a big pit or a fire, fire, uh, whatever, fire thing. And they'll have a big barrel or something and people start bringing all the things that they know shouldn't be in their lives. And they'll bring their, their bad music. They'll bring their bad movies. they bring their, maybe uh, they'll bring all their, their wicked magazines or whatever it is and, and they start burning them up. And, and that's what it's saying here. It said, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lust thereof. And, and we need to stop on wise practices. Number two, we need to watch what we're yielding to. Look in verse 13. Neither, neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness Unto God. And we need to watch what we're yielding to. And, you know, and it's talking about our members. You know, you got to realize when it's talking about our members, it's talking about our eyes. It's talking about our ears. It's talking about our hands. It's talking about our feet. You know, we sing with the kids. I don't know if you are, you guys sing this uh, over here in Ireland, but, you know, uh, be careful, little eyes, what you see, you know. For the Father up above is looking down in love, so be careful, little eyes, what you see. And then we go through the ears, and we go through the hands, we go through the feet. You know, we sing that with kids, but boy, that would be a good one to sing in an auditorium with adults. Honestly, sometimes those kids got it better than us, don't they? And, you know, and <clears throat> I don't believe any one of us would willingly or knowingly offer the use of our hands, offer the use of our feet, offer the use of our eyes, offer the use of our ears or whatever member. I don't know that any one of us would willingly or knowingly offer that to Satan for his use. I can't believe that, I can't believe that anybody that knows the Lord Jesus Christ would say, go up and offer it to Satan and say, Satan, here, go ahead and use these hands, have fun. You know, hey, have the, use these feet, use these eyes, use these ears. And, and folks, listen, we need to be careful and we need to watch what we're yielding to. And that's what verse 13, it says, Neither yield you your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. And we need to be careful that we no longer unknowingly or unwittingly yield our, you know, our members, those parts that, you know, it's kind of interesting, but our, our soul is in somewhat of a sandwich. You know, we have that spiritual part of our being, that immaterial part of our being that now is joined to the Lord. That's the part because it's joined to the Lord that sinneth not. 
Okay, because it's one spirit joined to the Lord. It can't sin. That, that would explain some of the passages over in 1 John and what have you. So that part's there. And then you got the flesh. So the spirit part is joined to the Lord. That's what communicates with the Lord. And then you got the flesh or these bodies on this other side that through our five senses we relate to the world around us. With our eyes we see, with our ears, with our nose we smell, ears we hear, these hands we feel and touch, you know, we taste, and that's how we absorb the world around us. Well, our souls kind of sandwich in between. And, 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 you know, in that sandwich there, we got to be careful (laughs) where our soul's getting its input from. You know, that's why you can sow to the flesh. And if you're doing that, you're leaning on that end and you're getting everything in through your five senses. You know, the, the devil can't come in and he can't tempt you through the Spirit. And that, the Spirit's joined to the Lord. He can't get at you through the Spirit. So he can't come at you from that side of your soul. It's the only way he can come, which is your emotion, your mind, and your intellect, to affect your thinking, to affect your emotions, to affect, to affect your will to persuade you to do good or evil. So, so the, here's the Lord on this side, and he's working on that side, but you know, we're getting barraged on this side through our five senses. And that's why it's so, care- you know, it's so important. We're careful with our eyes. We're careful with our ears. We're careful what comes in these gates because they affect our soul. You know, and, and when we do that, of course, we're sowing to the flesh, and we need to sow to the Spirit, and, uh, and, and of course, we'll come out victorious that way. And then in verse number 14, so we need to be careful who we're yielding to. And then in verse number 14, we, rem- we need to just remember who we are now. The Bible says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. And, you know, we, just, we need to remember whose name we bear. You know, we're a child of the king. And, and, and can I tell you something, Christian? Sin's below you. It's below us. We're much better than that. We're, you're much nobler than that. You, you've been made, a, you're joint heir with Jesus Christ. Amen? You're a royal priesthood. Start thinking about that. Get the crown out. No. <laughs> we get full of pride, but, you know, the truth is, you're, 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 you're something very special in the Lord. You know, and the devil comes along and he tries to beat us down and says, you know, this is all you're about. This is what you've always been about. You know, just go ahead and do it. Hey, listen, tell them to jump in a lake. Because that's not who you are. And you're much better than that now. You've been made so very noble in Jesus Christ. And you mean a lot to God. Amen? And uh, so, you know, remember who you are. And then... Don't allow presumptuous sins. Look here in verse number 15, and, and we're, we're almost done here. Look at verse 15. For what then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? Of course, uh, he answers his own question, God forbid. You know, because we're under grace, grace isn't a license to sin. Grace is an enablement to do right. You know, Paul in the past, he, you know, and kind of illustrating the frustration, the things that I would, I do not, the things that I would not, those things I do, you know, and, and he, he's kind of illustrating that, that struggle before he lays hold of the potential in Romans 8. But, you know, you, you look at that and, and, you know, grace isn't licensed to sin. And some people, some people say, well, I have grace, I'm under grace, and, you know, and, and I don't have to follow a strict set of rules, and you don't. 
But grace isn't license. Grace is freedom to, to serve God acceptably. Grace is freedom to do right. For grace is power to do the things that you would. Because in the past you were so handicapped that, that when you would try to do good, you would fail. But you know, through Jesus Christ, we can do, we can do it. We can be acceptable to the Lord. And, and so don't allow presumptuous sins. You know, the devil comes along. Remember his temptation with Eve? Ah, you won't surely die. You know, hey, <laughs> it's not that big a deal. You know, it's not that big. Relax. Don't, don't get all uptight about it. You're not going to die. Guess what? Liar. He, she died. She didn't die physically. She, she died spiritually that day. She was separated from God. Look at that pitiful scene. Her and Adam walking out of the Garden of Eden. There's the cherubim angels, the flaming sword. They're weeping, walking out of the garden. Hey, sin brings forth death. Amen. And devil's a liar. And don't, when he comes along and says, hey, it's, you know, hey, just a little sin's okay. I mean, you're not, you're not like you used to be. You're not going to full, go full blown. You know what David prayed? He said, Lord, keep me from presumptuous sins. Because you're presuming on God that he won't judge you. You know, and, and Jesus said, it's, tempt, it's written, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Amen. God's still God. You know, there is a sin unto death, and I'm not saying when we cross the line, God's going to zap us and incinerate us and take us home, but he might have to chasten us severely because we are presuming upon his grace. Amen? Hey, you know what? My, my mother was a very, is a very loving mother. And, and, and when she wasn't struggling, you know, she had bouts with alcohol and binges and that, but a very strong woman, a very loving woman, and, and I knew she loved us and, and loved me, and, and I never doubted that for a moment. But when mom said do something, I never doubted she meant it. <laughs> Amen? Hey, I'm the run of the litter in my family, literally, height-wise. I'm the run, the one much left when I come along. And um, my mom, take you out. She picked my brother up when he was 16, and, and he ran his mouth, and she picked him up in the air and, you know, suplexed him on the ground. <laughs> I looked as a little boy said, not going to do that. <laughs> Mama, take you out. <laughs> she had to be mom and dad. Amen. And my heart goes out to women that have to do both. You know, God bless you, and God give you strength. Amen. You know, she did all that without the Lord. You know. But I never, I never doubted what she said she meant to. And, and, and there was a healthy, can I say it like this? There was a healthy fear. I knew mom loved me and she, she would die for me. She would she'd put herself in front of a lion for me. I knew that. But when mom said something, mom meant it. Amen. And, you know, when God says something, yeah. People say, oh, God's love will never whoop me. Well, huh? Really? Whom the Lord loveth he chasteneth and scourgeth every son. He's no respecter of persons, right? Okay. And then, let's close with this. Realize who you're allowing to master you. Look at verse 16. Know ye not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. And truth be told, that whoever we're obeying, 
That's our master. I, I, I did something. I did something. I, I, it was just too creepy to even do, and I never repeat it. But can you imagine kneeling down and, and calling out and calling Satan your master? I mean, that's abhorrent to me. You know, I'm looking for the day when we kick him in the pit, drag him out a thousand years later, whip him in the lake. Yeah, I'm looking for that day, amen? Boy, the more I serve him, the more I see what he does to people, especially God's children, the more I'm looking for that day. But I would never kneel to Satan and say, call him my master and accept him as my master. But the Bible says when we're yielding to these lusts and we're yielding to sin, you're letting him be your master. Isn't that spiritual adultery? Isn't it? Well, that's heavy. Let's pray. <laughs> Our Father, a great God in heaven, Lord, we, we thank You, Lord, as I'm mindful when we look at this passage in the Bible, I'm mindful of Your grace and Your patience and Your mercy toward us. And Lord, I just want to say, I'm thinking of just myself, and Lord, thinking, I want to just say thank You. And I'm sure my brothers and sisters in Christ could say the same and will say the same. And Lord, we just thank you for your long-suffering, your patience, your mercy. And Lord, help us. Help us to be wise in our decisions and our choices. Help us to be mindful of the members of our body. Help us to realize who we're yielding to and who we're allowing to master us. And Lord, may it be you. And may you truly be Lord of our life. And we love and praise thee. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.